I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Ah, oh, so I've done that wrong. <laughs> Why have you done that wrong? What's wrong well, about that? Well, you're not that? meant to say everyone, oh, yeah. are you? You're meant to say, Hello, you. <laughs> oh hi you great <laughs> hi yeah but that's not that's a bit that's really bit, creepy um, and horrible informal yeah. and well to go further did you, did you say creepy yeah creepy and horrible in fact yeah yeah it is <laughs> um i'm still hearing you way quiet what quieter than me so i actually can't hear you <laughs> oh hang on a minute I, how about if i hold it so that i look that's like no, i'm back that's no different if you do that oh Hang on. Hold on. Let let me just try something. Hang on. Just turn myself up even more. Oh, my God. Well, that's great. Is that good? Yeah. I'm still going to hold this like this because I feel like I'm commentating on the horses. (laughs) Yes. You you certainly look that way. It's a lifetime dream. Any tips? Yeah. Lucky dip. Two for one, for three, evens. (laughs) Really? Okay. I'll get down Labbrooks immediately. (laughs) And, uh, right. Yeah. So, uh, oh, this is three in a bar, the podcast. Yep. It is that. (laughs) And musicians and betting on uh, (laughs) betting tips for horses. I'll work. I'll work on that. I can do better on the betting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Actually, you know what? Horse commentating and horse betting. Two different worlds. Not really linked, are they? I don't think they are. I'd rather stick to the commentary side, you know. Yeah. Grand National, all that. Do you, so do you think that the horse commentators, are they interested in the betting side? Because are they just interested in, in the the The, the way they jump. <laughs> the way they jump. Um, I feel like John McCrerick, I reckon he yeah. did, dabbled in both worlds, didn't he? Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure he? I've seen him st- stood next to a, a betting um, a bookkeeper. <laughs> uh, More than once in his life, yeah. Yeah. Down some <laughs> dark alley, yeah. But was he was he a commentator? Was he a presenter? Oh God! Oh, see, I'm getting into another territory that I don't understand we, about. No, we about. don't know Why? much about horse commentary. <laughs> <laughs> if that's, I, to be honest, I didn't. I didn't think this episode would begin like this. I didn't either. And to be honest, if you are into that kind of thing, you've stumbled across the wrong podcast. I'm afraid. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> the end of of the um, the. Uh, I'm trying to think of more words for horse, but I can't think of any more. Equine, equestrian. Oh, I said that one already. Oh, you did? Um, ca- is this something beginning with a C? Che- cheval? <laughs> cheval. Or is that, that that's, that's goat, French isn't for it? horse, isn't it? No, you're bang on, you're bang on. Oh, I was thinking yeah. of chevre. Oh, God. Cheval. And also, Cabal. if you're in, into Spanish. French speaking or Spanish, <laughs> yeah. in fact, again, the wrong podcast. But anyway. Yes. Uh, we might have heard some Portuguese on this uh, this episode. Oh, nice maybe segue. In the, in the faint background, but I'm yeah. not sure. Um, <laughs> should we talk about? Should we talk about what this one's about? This yeah. is um, this is uh, Matthew Barley. That's right. The cellist. internationally renowned cellist. Yeah, 
And, and uh, um, we spoke to him uh, live and direct from the rainforest in Brazil. That's right. Coolest was it, place was it a rainforest? ever. It sounded like one. Yeah. Do you remember when he showed us around at the beginning? Yeah. It looked absolutely well, I saw incredible. a lot of trees. Yeah, there were. A lot of foliage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, On the terrible got... picture in Zencaster, you could just make out green and there was a yeah, lot of bird right. sound. That's it. I put I put two and two together. <laughs> uh, I've got a biography from his brand new album, which is called Electric, which is not out yet. But, um, we were granted uh, early access. Um, we were. And uh, here's the biography. I'll start here and see how, how much of it we do. <laughs> Go it's, on. It's not long. It's actually not long. Matthew Barley's musical world has no geographical, social or stylistic boundaries. His activities in performance, improvisation, cross-disciplinary... Pro- oh, <coughs> nice. <laughs> I'll start that sentence again. <laughs> His activities in performance, improvisation, cross-disciplinary projects, composition and pioneering community programmes have developed to form a uniquely eclectic international career. He's been described by the Times as the world's most adventurous cellist. What? And is as comfortable with core classical repertoire and improvisation as he is in a nightclub or in the Amazon rainforest. Did you add that or was that there? No, that was in it. Get on. Yeah. Great. That was it. It's like the, the CD knew that we'd be talking to him. He did it. seem comfortable there as well, so good. He did. Yeah. It's not his first time there, was it? No. Um, this is a quote from him here. Fortunate to be doing what I dreamed of doing as a child, I try to find a way to play whatever music I love. So I collaborate, improvise, juxtapose, arrange and rearrange. Matthew's studies were at the Guildhall School of Music. That's where you went, Verity. Yeah, that is where I went. And the Moscow Conservatoire. You been there? I didn't go there, no. Haven't even been there. And he's now involved in education, teaching classical musicians how to improvise. Oh, interesting. We should have asked about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a major thing to miss there. (laughs) Matthew is married to Russian violinist Victoria Mullover. He plays a, I want to say, Cesare Gili cello (laughs) from Rome. Okay. Made in 1750. Lovely, lovely. Now, have you got one of those or played one? I've neither got one nor played one, but I do have a cello. (laughs) And I reckon you you are. Yeah, I reckon you are. I I was with you for the first half of the name. And then I thought you were going to say Julius Cesare, but it's not, is it? Not made by Julius (laughs) Cesare. No, it's not that old. No. So this record, Electric. Yes. Uh, I've actually got some more notes on it because I've got the because <laughs> I've got the CD artwork here. So shall oh, I read brilliant. more? <laughs> Come on, keep reading. I really enjoyed this. It's like um, book at bedtime, isn't it? <laughs> these, <laughs> these are the notes by Matthew Barley. I'm not going to read them all, but um, just the first bit. Electric is a unique collection of works for cello and electronics. Electronics in music have been around for a very long time. The theremin is a century old. Did you know that? No, that's. that's great (laughs) I didn't know that but the genre of works for instrument and electronics became more popular in the 1980s around the time when Jonathan Harvey wrote oh how do you say this Richicare Una Melodia yeah the oldest piece on the album I should know that because that's actually a trumpet piece it's a trumpet piece yeah yeah a pupil of his Oded Bental has written the newest piece Present Perfect here in its world premiere recording. Right, so there's loads of pieces in, on this. Um, not going to talk about them all. There are loads of pieces on this album by composers such as John Metcalf, Anna Meredith, 
Joby Talbot, mm-hmm. Karen Tanaka, and Yan Bang. It's due out this month, isn't it? Oh no, March. It's due out in March. Um, but a couple of the singles have already been released, which you can listen to on all your favourite forums. So there's one of the Anna Meredith pieces, Blackfriars, is already out. And one of Joby Talbot's pieces is, and he's just released a new one by Yan Bang this week. Uh, so go and have a little listen if you want a bit of a preview of the album. This interview, it was so great to chat to Matthew, but as we said earlier, he was in the rainforest and there is a two second delay about that, I'd say, yeah. uh, between us. We were over Zencaster. Sadly, we weren't flown out to the Amazon too. I would have loved that. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so just occasionally... I'm sure, Seb, you've done your magic to this, but there might be <laughs> there might be moments where it. it I, I mean, was just a bit concerned that things hadn't landed. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've tried to do my best. I mean, a couple might have slipped through, through the net, but um, I've tried to close up the gaps. Yeah. But but you know, if if there's any slightly eggy moments, then that's the reason. It's well, not, we hope it is anyway. We hope so. I mean, yeah. Who knows? Um. <laughs> But uh, yeah, nice, uh, nice little chat. So um, we're gonna we're gonna go over to the uh, Amazon now. Oh, lovely. the Amazon's in the rainforest. The rainforest is in the the Amazon's in Brazil. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know my geography. <laughs> um, we're gonna go over to the Amazon now, and uh, we'll take you via mm-hmm. the the new single by Yan Bang. This is uh, noticing things. It's the second movement called Replica. See you over in Brazil. This is Matthew Barley. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I should be fading up some faders as I do that. <laughs> Matthew Barley. Yes, please. I think there's a bit of a delay, but that is completely understandable. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll just try and uh, work through Fantastic. it. It's fine. It's only a couple of seconds. It's no problem. Great. We've had yeah. worse. Brilliant. <laughs> we really have. How do you... So yeah. is this a regular place that you, you go to? Is it a holiday home? Like, I don't yeah, know. it's not a holiday. We're just staying in an Airbnb. But uh, it's the second time we've come out here. And as I said, we've got some good friends. Um, a, a, a German guitarist who lives here with his Brazilian wife. So, uh, yeah, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And after this, we're going to pop out to a waterfall and have a swim and a walk. And so it's glorious. Oh, oh. wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. After this, I'm going to the dentist <laughs> to get uh, to get a filling done. So. And I'm going on the central line. So we're all going to have a cracking day, aren't we? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but it does look quite sunny there. It is yeah. nice, actually. Yeah. yeah, it is. I'm in Catford, not okay. quite the uh, the Amazon. Not quite the Amazon. <laughs> So we'd be really, really, really interested to chat to you about Electric, which yes. is out very soon, it, I gather. It is indeed. I think we're in our 9th of February, about three, three or four weeks or something, yeah. Oh, congratulations. It, we were lucky enough to be sent over um, over the, each of the tracks. Oh, and it's, it's a really fantastic collection. Oh, great. Thank you. Well, it's, it's yeah, I mean, hardly anybody's heard it yet. So it's, it's really nice to be getting early bits of feedback about it. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like excellent. Like the, the quality of it, um, it um, it's got a real sound world to it. Um, and for someone that's, I, I've tried to over the lockdown try to record myself multi tracks right. and stuff in bedrooms and stuff. It's it's tricky, isn't it, to get it right when you have all those yeah. different tracks on top of each other. After a while, it can get a bit a- roomy. Absolutely. Or, but you've done this really nicely, and should, 
so I'd love to hear like the process of it and 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 your sort of journey of multi-tracking over the over right. the years how it's how it's progressed. Well, yeah, it's um I mean I suppose the multi the multi-tracking side of this album was just sort of one of all the elements that we had to deal with. Yeah. Um and I've yeah, I mean I've I've just learned a few fairly simple tricks about multi-tracking over the years like um making sure that you have a fractionally different sound for each track. Because if you start multi-tracking and you get an identical sound, that that I think can also get a bit tiring on the ear. So sometimes that's about changing the position of the chair slightly, or changing the position of the microphone slightly, or just changing some of the some of the parameters around the recorded sound. And there's also a huge amount you can do in the later sort of editing mixing stage as well. Changing the EQ and and exactly. compression and that yeah, sort of thing, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that that's something you are you're hands on with as well. Not the sort of producing side well, or, or do you do you work with other people on that as, as it turned out i was really incredibly hands-on yeah i mean the, re- the recording process i think we had just five four or five days in the studio um, to record the whole album which wasn't too bad um there was a lot of experimenting with it as we went along with different sounds um the engineer i had rob Plummer, was absolutely fantastic he was so flexible and i had odette bental as well who's one of the composers from the album he was sort of co-producing with me so we got the actual recording done fairly quickly. Um, and then uh, the whole editing, mixing, mastering thing, I, I ended up being very, very involved in that because, and I hadn't really realised this in advance because it's the first time I've done an album of this kind of music, but b- because I was the only one who really knew how I wanted the whole thing to sound, I had to steer the whole thing. And it was it, it turned out to be way more time consuming than I'd imagined. Um, it was just days and days and days and days of work. And and I'm sure you know very much. I don't know what you do, Verity, but if you've been recording, Seb, you'll know very well just how it's a rabbit hole that you can never emerge from if you choose not to, because it's it's literally endless. And as you go through the process, you start to hear more and more. You start to understand more and more what you can do. Um, but it was it was really fun to do. I enjoyed it a great deal. Yeah, and it's interesting you saying that about the the kind of the process of uh, editing and producing afterwards taking a long time because I, I read you saying that uh, particularly some of the tuning one of the Joby Talbot tracks Fine. was a tricky old thing because it's right up there on the cello <laughs> and uh, and how hard was it to walk away from from that or did, is this something you'd agonise over? It, definitely something I agonised over. Yeah, and and. You, you find yourself at that stage in the studio um, just sort of juggling, I suppose, trying to try to find out what's the most important thing that you want to put in. I mean, there were just a couple of places where, you know, if I'm really honest, we didn't get precisely what I need to get recorded. We're just two, I think it was only two places we didn't get quite enough takes. Um, and that was hard for me because sitting on the cello, you know, there's not a lot I can do because you only hear that sort of big picture in, in the control room. So there are a couple of bits we missed, and then you find yourself in the studio having to make a decision. Well, do I auto-tune the note? You know, that's very possible. Um, or do I go for the take, which does have it perfectly, but is musically not very good? Or do I go for the one that has the musical arc and just has that little imperfection? And in the end, in, in both of those instances, I went for the last, um, I went for the last sort of option. And I think that's because... Yeah, you know, as as musicians, the way we begin to listen in the control room is is almost a bit unrealistic. I mean, I I hear things that even other musicians don't, just because I'm getting used to it so much, and it'll be like that for everybody. And 
most people, when they're listening, they're just listening to the music. Um, however, you know, when I hear those two bits, I still like, oh, I still wince each time. <laughs> oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. too well. I had no- a great... So yeah. I heard a great mantra the other day. It was just on uh, on a forum, like uh, some sort of production forum. And someone said, uh, if they're in the studio and they're obsessing over some tiny detail, they just say, would your mother notice it? <laughs> and I, I think that's great. That's a good one. You can... Because like my my mum would just say, oh, it sounds lovely. Exactly. It, sounds lovely. Yeah. <laughs> it probably slightly depends that's who it. your mother is. Oh, that's yeah, true. that's yeah. very true. Yeah. That is true. But and also, you were just saying about that having to have, some, you know, wanting slight differences and the sound, and and that kind of helps that in a way as well. So it's also kind of conducive to getting these different sound qualities yeah. and the different lines and things. So you know, it can work in your favour, I guess. Yeah, the slight I, slight imperfections. I think that's absolutely true. Well, one of my mantras is is remembering Beatles tracks because I'm a huge Beatles fan there are lots of Beatles tracks with imperfections on and nobody minds totally yeah, well funny enough I remember Matthew I had a master I'm a cellist myself but <laughs> oh. I remember having a master class many years ago with you and you were saying that yeah, uh, C major talking about oh <laughs> yeah Many, many years ago. I hope that was kind to you. She didn't have oh, quite was... such a blurry face. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. It was all a blur. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember you talking about C major scales and saying that you would always, that you just stuck at C major, that basically to get C major right even was a kind of enough, like to, that you could never perfect it, that it was always kind of like, so you would always play C major. Oh, funny, is that still the case? Funny you should say that because <laughs> it, it is still the case, yes. Is it? <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, it's true. But I often think about that when I'm right. using scales to practice and things. And it's, you know, I guess so. you obviously are incredibly attuned to, to those tiny, tiny flaws. It's just, yeah, it's a never ending thing or like a spiral or something that you, there's, there's not a, there's not a place you reach unless you decide to reach that place. It's a decision about when you can stop. But I was, um, I'm a great fan of a, of a colleague of mine, Albert Gerhardt, who's, who's one of the and just in terms of playing the cello, he's one of the real greats around today. He's also been practicing only one scale. He does E flat major. He's been practicing it for 35 years or ah. something. And that's funny, actually. Recently, I've been thinking, maybe I should swap over to E flat sometime soon. <laughs> oh, you devil. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. So which, with, <laughs> with it in, that in mind, what, which of the tracks did you find hardest to record? Well, I think they all... Yeah, that's a good question. They all have subtly different challenges. Like, um, for instance, there's a track by John Metcalf uh, called Constant Filter. And while that's that's certainly the track on the album that I know the best, I, I commissioned it from John probably coming up to 20 years ago or something. And, and I must have played it, I don't know how many times in concert, probably over 100 over the years. So that's one I know really well, but... Because I know it so well, the challenges of that, of trying to get, you know, even I know which notes I want to do, more vibrato on or less vibrato on and press a little bit more with the bow. And it's a very, very simple track. It's just kind of one one singing line, really, apart from a little bit of improvisation in the middle. So that, that was a challenge from that point of view. I think in, in just in terms of left hand and hitting the right notes, um, Joby's falling is definitely the hardest. You know, some of the leaps in that are really huge. And the problem with that one, of course, is that Joby um, actually asks for a huge reverb. I think he, he writes big, glassy reverb at the beginning. So the effect he wants when you play this, dong, bong, bong, 
when you play those four notes is that the first one is the loudest and they get softer towards the top. So that by the time you get to the top one, the previous three are all reverberating as approximately the same volume. So then you get a four note chord, which reverberates. And so the tiniest imperfection, obviously it sticks around for the length of the giant reverb. So you've really got to try and nail that one. So that was that was tricky from that point of view, yeah. When you were recording that one, did you have the reverb in your ears as you yes, doing I it? Yes, I did, yeah. I, I used to try and do things the other way around and, and record without the reverb, but then I realised that actually, um, in terms of timing, when you're hearing the reverb you've got, you make slightly different decisions. So now I always try and, and have exactly the same reverb in my ears as will be there at the end. And it, it changes a little bit, but as, as close as possible. Of course, yeah. And then I guess, could you, if, could you decide to tweak that reverb later on if you wanted to? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that's one of the ones, I mean, the, the later part of the process was one of the most enjoyable. Um, I don't know if you've heard of an engineer called Mike Hatch. Um, Mike, Mike started a company called Floating Earth probably 35 years ago or something, which is sort of a sister company to my record company, Signum Records. And, um, and, and I sort of engineered and mastered the whole thing with Mike at the end. I mean, he, obviously he was doing all the knob twiddling and I was sitting there and going, oh, a little bit more of this, more of that. Um, but Mike is, I mean, it's hard to describe just what a wizard he is, but he mixed the whole thing in Dolby Atmos. I don't know if you know about Dolby yeah. Atmos. It's, it, it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be the thing soon, I think. Um, and so the system he uses, I think it was 7.1.4. So I had seven speakers around me at head level. Um, the sub, the one was down below and then four speakers up on the roof. And, um, and at a couple of points, he would just press a button. He would turn it back into stereo and stereo sounded so boring and so flat <laughs> afterwards. Oh no. And I realized that for, <laughs> for our, our ears as classical musicians, we're used to listening. You take someone like the Wigmore Ball the amount of reverberation that you're getting from all around the room creates basically a Dolby Atmos effect. So that that's what, as classical musicians, we're used to that really, really wonderful surround sound. And and Mike would take you know, individual lines and he'd add a little bit more of this reverb there and a little bit more colour there and just got the whole thing sounding so, so natural and realistic. That was a very exciting process. I love the whole pizzicato effect in Moon Moons and where it's building and everything. And I bet that is incredible in Dolby Atmos. Yeah, no, that one's amazing. Mike had a lot of fun with that one. And, you know, there's still the problem is, of course, that not many people can listen on Dolby Atmos. But anyone who has a, a I think, are they called sound bar? The things that go with the, the big new flat screens? Yeah. Anyone who has a sound bar or Apple headphones, I think the AirPods Max and and the other in-ear AirPods, yeah. you can you can get... And the surround on those sounds wonderful. I got some AirPods recently, so I've been okay. um, sort of, you know, just trying out some of the, the Dolby Atmos or the spatial audio. Yeah, they're sort of. I don't think they're not the same thing, but they're kind of they're sort of related. Exactly. I think it's kind of confusing when you go between because you can go from the stereo mix that that nearly everything's yeah. been ever mixed in, but then you can change it to the spatial audio, right. which will be, I think, done by some sort of algorithm. But for, for 
and then some things that have been specifically mixed like that as well. Yes, so, absolutely. Um, for for like classical music and ensembles, chamber music, I think it's and, and some jazz ensembles. I think it works so right. well um, because you you feel like you're surrounded by everyone like on on some beautiful stage. Yes, that's right. Um, but it doesn't. I found it for some things like um, listening to some pop punk or some something like that's that would have been just a thick sound of guitars and distortion yeah. it just doesn't work it at all. doesn't does it no it's very strange it, it's like finding the right thing yeah. to use it for and to, to listen to it but i think for classical music yeah and and jazz and i think it it really is going to be the future yeah me too i agree mm. yeah and i think the thing about the sort of pop music and also electronic dance music is the, these are genres that are created in studios in stereo and and so mm. taking that yeah. out of that sounds strange to our ears. Whereas classical music, we're coming more back into that sort of concert hall feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's it, yeah, but um, I I guess people are starting to more and more, especially for albums like like yours, we're really really mixing specifically for that. Yeah, and, Absol- um, absolutely. I think, I think people, yeah, people like it's, you know the audiences are going to start to get. Get on board because they're going to have to probably buy some more headphones. And all exactly, that's <laughs> <laughs> worth it. Well, okay. yeah, and I think it even goes one stage further because um, my wife is a, a violinist, Russian violinist, Victoria Woolover, and we're recording her third disc of um, Beethoven and Schubert this summer. I think it's just Beethoven this summer. And Mike Hatch is going to be engineering for that, and he said we should put the microphones out already in a seven point one point four formation. So he'll be recording it specifically for Dolby Atmos, which is even more exciting. Wow. Oh, that's amazing! So, yeah. Are the microphones in a in a similar kind of position to where the where the speakers would be if you were mixing it? I think that that's that's the idea exactly, and then it becomes much easier to do the mixing afterwards when you've got it recorded already in that yeah. format. Yeah, wow, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. So, and listening to the album, obviously, like you were saying, there are so many different effects and, um, you know, uh, spe- special things that you've added to it, which have kind of developed over the years. Just wondering how that would affect um, the whole performing the album. Would you would you consider performing it as an album out on um, tour? I probably wouldn't perform it as a whole album because there. A slightly too many slow and dreamy tunes um, for for a concert. Right. <laughs> it's one of the things I found is that it seems to be, for whatever reason, when composers think, "Oh, I'll write a piece with cello and electronics," they think of really kind of dreamy, chilled out cello melodies and really fantastic yeah. electronic sounds underneath. So most of the pieces were like that. I mean, having said that, I'm performing some of the pieces. Um, I, I've got a concert on the 19th of May at this wonderful new venue in Battersea. I don't even know who've heard of it, the World Heartbeat Academy. Oh, wow. It's a no. fantastic... Oh, you, you have to check out this venue. It's magnificent. Um, nice little concert hall. seats about 120. Fantastic Steinway grounds. Mm. And the most unbelievable... Is that in the new power station set up? It's very close. It's in the whole Nine Elms oh, place. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Oh, cool. Yeah. So there I'm doing, um, I'm doing two Beethoven sonatas, one in each half, and then before and after each Beethoven sonata, I'll be doing one of the tracks from the album. So there'll be four tracks there altogether. And your question, Ferris, is very good. I'm not quite sure yet how I'm going to do that in concert because one of the things I enjoyed so much on the album was finding, yeah, I mean, in the way that when we, when we play Bach or Beethoven or something, we want to try and find, we want to match, match the sound with what's in our ears. And so trying to match that sound, just it's a, it's a thing of bow pressure and vibrato and so on and so forth. 
And when you've got all that electronics at your disposal, it's also all the normal sounds on the cello, but it's it's reverb and it's EQ and it's panning and it's this, that, and the other. So I I don't know how far I'll be able to go in concert, but it's going to be really fun trying, I think. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, because we were speaking to Joby Burgess about this, actually, when he was just about to go on and perform the album. And because he's also on Signum, isn't he? And he was uh, he was just talking about that kind of whole thing of having so many variables that could kind of exactly. potentially work against you. Exactly. Now, that's the thing. <laughs> it's just the number of choices. I mean, that's that's the one of the it's the upside of the downside of the computer world, isn't it? That the choice range has just exploded so much. But sometimes that makes it very overwhelming and hard to see through through the wood for the tree. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Did you perform the, the electronics as well, on the electronic sounds on the album as well? Um, hardly at all, no. They were all, almost all prepared by the composers. Um, there are a couple of oh, couple okay. of times where I sort of interact with them a bit, like there's a passage in John Metcalf's where I do a, a couple of things on pedals um, and the notes that I play get a sort of a live treatment. And there are others where, um, you know, I've got, as they call them, live electronics, which is sort of reacting to what I'm doing in real time, like the, uh, the John and Harvey piece, which is all about the delays, which obviously precisely mirror what I've just done. And then one step even further, the piece by Odette Bental, where um, I don't know how he did it, but the computer is analysing what I play in real time and responding. So there are certain parameters that he lays out, but uh, it, it's slightly different each time. That makes it really fun to play. But I, I don't actually create any electronic sounds myself. No, my, my job is fairly limited to playing the cello, which is hard <laughs> enough. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. <laughs> So yep. that, that one by Odette yeah. Bantar, is that the one that's using some artificial intelligence? Exactly, yeah. That, that's a, a big thing of Odette's. It's so fascinating. How does that work? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know <laughs> how the actual algorithms work, but what I do know is that he's he's created a whole bunch of different sound worlds, you know, very distinct sound worlds. And within that, um, the live sound from the cello will trigger... Um, the response and and it's using artificial intelligence to listen to the live sound of the cello and then make responses that are appropriate within those parameters. And what I mean that came out of discussions with the dead because I was saying, you know, can we set this up so that the 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 computer's like a live musical partner for me, so that it's going to surprise me in a way that's musical and intelligent. So I feel like I'm having a dialogue with the computer, and and this piece came out of that conversation. Um, 
And it's only in very recent years that that's, that's been possible just because um, of the amount of processing power the computers now had. They just couldn't handle it before. Um, and now that's possible, yeah. So you, you do get slightly different responses each time. So there's that feeling of being able to just play in and out with the computer, which is really fun. I bet it's fun slash unnerving at times. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, it's like no, sentience. Yeah, no, I guess <laughs> if I think about it now, away from the shallow, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> in the musical context, it's just like, yeah, great. I'll go along with that. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And, and um, he was a student of Jonathan Harvey. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. So it's a lovely isn't kind that, of arc to the album. Isn't that nice? Yeah, I was delighted when I heard about that. Yeah. And I actually should sit a dead down sometime and get a few stories about Jonathan because he was clearly an amazing guy and um yeah I'm pretty sure he he taught in on the west coast of America that's where they'd studied with him um <clears throat> oh really yeah I think yeah. so but the, this piece the the Richard Carr that he wrote the more I played that the more I appreciated the finesse of the composition um and and the imagination the sort of the the human competing power that Jonathan must have used to to write, imagining all the time what would have been happening with the delays and to make the written cello part work with what the delays were going to do. I, I just found that extraordinary because it works so well. And it's such a simple device as well, but it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. What What were the first things you remember in your career when you started experimenting with the electronics uh, or, or recording yourself or multi-tracking, that kind of thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think back in the 90s, um, I all, all the sort of first invitations I got to do things with electronics, I actually turned down um, just because the, the technology of the microphones then was so disappointing. I just found that every time I tried playing something through a cello mic, uh, the sound that was coming back was so poor. I just couldn't, I, it just made me feel so uncomfortable. It kind of made me squirm. Um, but then I think towards yeah. the end of the 90s, I, I just thought, okay, I, I need to get this going because I'm fascinated by the possibilities of the whole electronics world. So I, I arranged to spend a day in a studio in London and, and the woman who was running the studio, Leslie Willis, very kindly agreed to get a bunch of manufacturers to just to send all their best sort of cello contact bikes around. Um, we spent a whole day just auditioning them all, and I found a DPA one, um, which I bought, which I still use to this day. It's an incredible microphone. And that, for me, was a big kind of touchstone moment. It's like, oh, wow, I can, I can play with electronics now in a way that I like the sound. And suddenly that opened up a whole world. And it wasn't long after that that I did the Silver Swan, which was the first album where I tried all the, all the multi-tracking on. So that was one of the very first experiments. Yeah, I was listening to you talking about that when you were going to um, you were going to talk about the recording process, and you said a really interesting thing about um, not wanting to bore musicians about it, but at the same time not wanting to alienate right. uh, people who didn't know. And that's a, that's a really interesting kind of problem slash prospect to have. Is that something you're thinking about when you're programming concerts or when you're thinking about what you're going to record, like kind of hitting that balance? Yeah, definitely. I I think. Yeah, definitely. I was I was talking about something a little bit similar the other day with um, with John Taverner's wonderful piece, The Protecting Veil. And I think yeah. what, what John managed to do in that piece was write a work that I think is a kind of a holy grail for a lot of composers, which is something that's both very accessible um, and extremely sophisticated at the same time. So that you're not, it, I think it's relatively easy to sacrifice one to the other. 
um, one for the other. Yeah. But uh, John managed to get that happy medium. And it's something that I'm thinking about all the time. I mean, both both when I program, but also when I talk about music, um, is is what is what is the language that can include the most people? I guess that's the way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's actually quite a, a difficult thing because we were speaking to Johannes Moser a while back and he was talking about kind of doing a very classical or a standard repertoire, I suppose, in within the concert hall and then coming out afterwards and doing... Uh, Putting the you know some contemporary pieces with electronics, maybe with yeah. delay pedals, all kinds of things, yeah. and kind of introducing his audiences to different things. So, do you find that that's something you're interested in doing? Sort of introducing people who come and watch you to listen to you play some kind of classical repertoire. You're quite keen to introduce them to new and exciting yeah, things. Very much, and I think I've been very lucky in that one because. Um, Again, I mentioned my wife, Victoria, earlier. We've done a lot of touring together mm. and projects together over the years. And especially the first couple that we did back in, I think, late 90s or early 2000s or something, um, where I was doing a lot of arranging of pop music and jazz and, and rock and roll and blues, all sorts of things, for a little ensemble that we put together. But, of course, the projects were sold on Victoria's name. It was very much her ensemble and her audience. And it was wonderful taking these fairly unusual projects to very, very classical audiences. And what what we found time and time again was actually um, those audiences loved it. So long as you didn't pitch it too far to the left or the right or something, there was there was a great feeling, feeling of, I think there was a feeling of, oh, we've done something adventurous and we enjoyed it. Well done us. It was that sort of vibe. I mean, I think, I mean, this is a huge conversation uh, that we probably don't have the skip to go into now, but Getting people along to contemporary, difficult um, classical music is so much harder than getting people along to, obviously, the great example is, is contemporary art. You know, you've got half a million people flooding through the gates of the Tate Modern every year or something. Um, but it seems to be so much so much harder with, with music. And I don't really know why that is. But uh, what I do find is when you get people through the door, everybody seems to love it. It's just it's that, it's that thing about... How do you do the marketing in such a way that you don't alienate people? Yeah. So you've got, you've got people like like Anna Meredith, who's who's sort of really kind of going across those uh, genres. Yeah. It's almost a cliche to say that about her, isn't it? But, but you know, she's you know, nominated for a Mercury Prize Definitely. and getting played on Six Music. Yeah, and, that's right. And and playing at music festivals with, with a live band. Yeah. And, and um, it's, you know, it's, it's really exciting. And I think that, that kind of what she does open the door for a lot of people oh to, yeah to absolutely no, she's, few other contemporary yeah musicians. she's brilliant I, I went to see her band a year or two ago um in fabric you know the sort of uber cool nightclub yeah. in spitalfields yeah and even just the idea of her playing there is so clever but I, I think that's a perfect example of what i'm talking about also with tabana that she she really does have that holy grail she's very accessible to a huge range of people but the music is really sophisticated. It's, it's proper composition. So she's, yeah, she's got those two things going on and it works wonderfully. And when you were recording pieces by her, and, and actually a number of the composers, in fact, they're all still alive, aren't they? Bar Jonathan Harvey. Exactly, um, exactly. So, yeah, did you, um, were you referring back to them? Did you go and consult them at all during the process or did you kind of feel like, no, this is a separate thing now? No, very much so. I mean, the I think... There are a couple of exceptions. Michael Gordon, um, the sort of Bang on a Can All Stars chap who wrote, uh, what is it called? Light Into the Light? Gosh, I forgot the name of that one. That was really funny. Right. Light is Calling. That's the one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
<laughs> I didn't know Michael, so I wasn't in touch with him about that at all. Um, and uh, But most of the other ones, I think, yeah, I mean, with Anna, we were very close together. She came to the studio um, for a whole day for, for the recording of her three pieces. So it was really wonderful to get that feedback and learn how she listens to her own pieces. John Metcalf I didn't consult, but only because I know him so well and he's heard me play the piece so many times um, that I kind of knew what he wanted. It's actually the second time I've recorded that piece. That's I, th I think I've never done that before to re-record anything. Um, but I, I'd always felt just a little bit dissatisfied with the first recording, that there was a, a, a sort of extra level um, that I couldn't get. What I was talking about earlier, the tiny little nuances of, of bow pressure of vibrato which I think I managed to get this time. And um, Joby Tolbert, yeah, we had a wonderful backwards and forwards um, by, by email. Um, and I was asking him, you know, what, what, what haven't you heard yet in these pieces? What's, what are the extra dimensions? How would you like to push the sort of interpretation of these pieces? And he was really, really forthcoming with that. So yeah, the, the working with the composers has been very satisfying. Can you remember some of those things he was saying that, that he, he he wanted to hear more of? Yes, I mean, for, for Joby, a lot of it was about tempi. Um, he wanted particular speeds and, you know, that's always a, I guess that's a tricky one for composers. <laughs> There's another composer who wrote a piece for me for cello and electronics called Dai Fujikura, very, very talented Japanese composer. He said to me, um, never believe any composer's metronome marks. Always take 10% off. <laughs> <laughs> so Take 10% off, go slower. Yeah, exactly. 10% slower than the composer writes because right, he okay. thinks composers imagine things faster than they need to actually sound, <gasps> which could be right. Oh. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That's excellent advice, which yeah. I'm going to take really to heart. <laughs> <laughs> slower, slower. Um, Perfect, yeah. What, yeah. what else was... <laughs> Yeah, Joby, Joby said a couple of things about the reverb as well. Um, but for him, it was, it was not technical details. It was more about the, the sort of pacing of the whole, the whole piece that he was keen to, keen to get. And then Anna was, hmm. Anna was very, um, you know, she's got such a sharp ear. She really wanted to concentrate on the details a lot. So we, we, we went into all sorts of things there. And there were, there were passages where she just wasn't happy. And we did again and again and again. And, I really liked that because that's also the way I work, just sort of repeating things, sort of chasing that elusive little detail. So I, I enjoyed yeah. working with her a lot. So would you record those, you know, a few bars in isolation just to get that right? Or would you do the whole thing as one take um, again and again? It, it would depend. I mean, there are certain... There are certain passages. Oh, it's funny. My mind goes back to the protecting veil again, the John Taverner one. The, there, are, there are certain passages in that where you just can't make an edit. Um, so I had to record sort of one, one and a half minute chunks with the orchestra because you just couldn't cut it anywhere and you had to get it absolutely perfect. Yeah. That was really hard. On this album, it was relatively easy to cut most places. So what we would do, we would do two, three, four complete takes of the whole thing until I was satisfied we'd got um, the, the, the really good sort of template that we could use and then just go in and, and do patches for the bits that were not quite yeah. there. That's pretty and exhausting because you process. had some yeah sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> i was just gonna say um because you had i guess li a limited uh studio time um so as always uh, everyone always does but um so you have to just decide that's 
that's it or, or exactly. maybe i think it fo- does it focus your mind just be like, focus you know get let's get a good take now and, yeah, and yeah. hopefully happens. i mean it definitely does focus the mind um which i think is why it's so exhausting Barry, because it, it really is that mentally tiring thing and physically as well you know you're because yeah. when you're repeating things obviously you're doing exactly the same move, movements all the time and that that feeling which i know so so well of coming to the end of the session and, and inside it oh but that bit could have been better and oh that bit could have been better so it just <laughs> but it's a very good life lesson of just letting stuff go uh, and julie i've recorded an album with you know the wonderful jazz pianist julian joseph um and julian yeah. said the right way to think about recording is to say what you think about taking a picture it's just a snapshot of, of a moment in time musically that's where you are at the moment and you know of course, at any given moment in your life, you'd like to be better than you are. There's always that urge to grow. But that thought of it, just it's just a snapshot. This is the way you are now, kind of relaxes the mind, which is nice. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I like that. Um, the piece that, so hang on, I'm just going to get the name right because I've written it down. I'm not trusting myself because I've written it differently in two places. <laughs> noticing it. things noticing how things. i yeah. how ironic that that's what it's yeah. called noticing <laughs> yeah. things yeah um you <laughs> that you performed that together of when you were doing uh the tour where where you were touring around the uk yeah the, it was oh god the please britain, get me britain it's tour britain around britain Br- the, Br- the britain one there we are and uh that was in all kinds of incredible venues wasn't it we, as we were talking about earlier with anna meredith in fabric yeah you were in some quite incredible weird and wonderful places weren't yeah. you? sometimes did that kind of, i look yeah. back on that tour and i think how on earth did we make that happen because i i just i remember very clearly i was wandering through town one day in probably 2010 thinking oh my goodness 2013 centenary of britain what shall i do and immediately the, the little voice in my head says, oh, why don't you do a tour around Britain of 100 events to celebrate the centenary called Around Britain? And, and it's just comical how easy it is to have a thought like that. You know, it takes you five seconds. But then to put it together, wow, that's a lot of work. But we, we did it. I did. Yeah, we're aware of that, I'm afraid. Yeah, 65 <laughs> concerts and 35 educational events. Um, and wow. yeah, concert venues, you know, I did the London one was the Wigbore and I did St. George's in Bristol and, um, the great hall in Dartings and there were those sort of standard concert venues. But then I also managed to do a, a disused Victorian swimming pool in Manchester, um, a huge cave in the peak district, the, the peak cavern, which was, wow, that was hard work. The humidity was between 90 and a hundred percent. Um, and, and it was only 14 degrees, but we, you know, we filled up this giant cave. I think it sold out within a few hours because I'd done a breakfast television thing and talked about it. And it was so cold and so wet. I had to put a, a half a pound of rice inside the cello afterwards to absorb the moisture after it. And then oh, I did, I did a, I did a lighthouse on the White Cliffs of Dover. Um, yeah, lots and lots of different places. It was a huge amount of fun. I loved it. And right down in Cornwall, in Orkney, Shetland, we, we travelled all over the place. That's amazing. Where did the cello sound the best out of all those different places? Good question. The Wigmore Hall, in it? The Wigmore. <laughs> yes, the cello does sound really good in the Wigmore. All, I mean, St George's in Bristol. Well, St George's in Bristol and... The Great Hall in Dartington, I would put those three as my favourite halls. And if I was forced to choose between the three of them, I I might even go for Dartington Great Hall just because the ambience is so astonishing. You're in a sort of 800-year-old That whole place is hall. excellent. Oh, magical. 
Just magical, yeah. So good. But actually, Are you doing different programs in each venue? But same program, Bracey, but I just wanted to go back and say, I just remember yeah. the lighthouse. Actually, that sounded incredible because I was, um, if you imagine the lighthouse at the bottom of it, there's a little sort of side building and I was playing in that um, that side building. And if I remember rightly, there were, we could fit 18 chairs in um, and uh, <laughs> which I, so we did two concerts there and they both sold out. And, uh, and, well yes. But I was right next to the right next to the lighthouse. And we left the door open, so the whole chamber of the lighthouse acted as an echo chamber. So there was this incredible resonance go, oh. going up uh, after I played a note. That was really fun. Does that place get, get used for concerts often? Was that were you the first? I, I think that was the first. Yeah, I had a really nice little wow. association with the National Trust, and that was one of their properties. I think we did oh. eight or ten different National Trust places from. Gorgeous old houses to that lighthouse and a couple of other interesting ones. Yeah. Brilliant. So, have you got a? Have you got a? You know, you talked about performing some of these pieces in concerts. Is there a tour attached to this album? Not at all. No, I think I'm. I'm going to be doing things dotted around. Um, I mean, yeah. well, there's concert in London, the uh, the World Heartbeat Music Academy on the 19th <clears> of May. I'll do a couple of these pieces in Dartington actually in summer, but. What I'm working on, uh, it's a program that uh, I'll, I'll be, I think I'm going to start to tour it in about a year's time in March 24. And that's when I'll be touring the pieces from this album. Uh, that particular tour is going to be made up of two albums. So this one, Electric, and I'm starting work on another one now, which will come out at exactly that same time in the year, which will have some of my own compositions on it. Oh, um, wow. So that the tour, yeah, the, which, which is a first. Um, is it? Wow. So that touring program will will consist of some of the pieces from Electric and some of the pieces that I've written for my own album, and that's that will be the big touring stage. Is it called acoustic? Is it? <laughs> I'm not Maybe. sure what it's called yet. Ideas. It might be called making a song and dance, but I'm not 100 percent sure yet. So these are the first compositions that you've you will have released. Yeah, it's that frightening. Or or yeah. What? I, I wrote a little piece for a group that I used to run called Between the Notes, which I wrote in 1997 or something. Um, I don't remember anything about it at all. Uh, uh, but since then, my my sort of creative musical instincts have been have been just confined to improvisation, which of course is very close in a way, but it's also a really really long way away. I I started writing. Two or three months ago, um, and I, I've written one piece already for solo cello, which I just performed in Finland last week for a couple of times. And that was the first time I played my own pieces um, in public. In fact, to anybody ever, I didn't even try them out at home. Wow! And it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a curious mixture of liberating and terrifying. I was because I, ha- having written them, I obviously knew them in a way that I don't know any other piece because because I'd sort of. I'd made them up. Uh, that was really fun, just to feel like I knew the material so well that I knew precisely how I wanted it to go. But I remember in the concerts, just a couple of times, just the sort of oh, like I sort of trembled because it was such a <laughs> such a vulnerable thing to expose yourself for the actual notes as well as just the way you play them. So that was the very first. That was the very first um, outing. But I enjoyed it. So it was really fun to play. So it's, that's the starting point. Yeah. Who were you performing it to? Like big audience was it? Um, not well. The first audience was a very small church um, in a place called okay. Levy up in the Arctic Circle. There must have been hundred people there or something. And the second one was a slightly bigger oh. console. I think we had about five hundred people there. 
Um, yeah. Very nice console, wonderful acoustic in a place called Cool Summer. So they, they were quite small audiences, uh, and it was a really nice way yeah. to, to, to just sort of try them out. The, the pieces I'm writing for the tour next year will also include electronics. So I'm about to dive into Ableton. I've now got a home studio set up, um, yeah. and I'm hoping to, to really do something exciting on the electronics side. I'm, I'm really kind of, I'm very, yeah, it, that's, a, that's a nice thing to have on the horizon. That's it. So Ableton's, a, I, I haven't looked into Ableton yet, but I've got lots of friends that, that right, do it. Right, yeah. It sounds so exciting. Yeah, I think um, Ableton is probably good. I mean, it's probably fair to say that all all the big programs do fairly similar things they, these days. But what I heard um, was that Ableton has the best capability for live performance. Uh, and because I I need to, obviously, yeah. two hands are already busy playing the cello, so I need to automate everything to work with pedals. Uh, and I, I, I think Ableton is the most flexible in that respect. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to to create the sounds and things to go along with it, have you have you got like drum machines or synths or um, what are you going to use? I think I might use a package called Omnisphere, uh, which is something that I've come across, which has got an awful lot of sounds in it that have been created, especially for the package. Um, so I think I might use some already created, almost like a library of sounds from Omnisphere, but mostly just things from the cello. Um, one one really good bit of advice I picked up recently, and I can't even remember where I read it, um, but it reminded me of something you, you'd said earlier was about how there's so much choice these days. It's a very good idea to limit um, the scope of what you do. So I think especially because I'm starting out, you know, if I had 15 different programs that I was taking sounds from, I think it could get very confusing. Um, but so I think I'm going to I'm going to limit it to this Omnisphere package and just what I can do on the cello. And are you um, are you writing for Victoria too? Has she has no, she commissioned you to do anything? Not yet, no. And I would definitely say no. <laughs> Although I've written quite would a you? lot. <laughs> well, I've I've written quite a lot for Victoria with arrangements over the years. I mean, that's also another way yeah. I've, I've had a creative outlet. I've been arranging for donkeys years, um, and it was really yeah. fun writing for Victoria because. Uh, I would I would just write really really difficult music, and of course she would always be able to absolutely <laughs> nail it, but not without a bit of complaining along the way. <laughs> so that was fun, <laughs> of course. But I think you know, at the beginning, yeah. at the beginning, it's just going to be for myself and the electronics. I'll just start out really slowly. I I can't imagine I'd. Yeah, I've, I've no idea if somebody asked me to write them a piece of music. I've no idea whether I would find that something that I I felt I could do in a good way or I don't know we'll see first things first um so this album you're releasing it's just being released digitally isn't it and um that's was right, that, did yeah. you have a, a strong feeling that that's what you wanted to do what uh, do you think is it just because cds and you know vinyl and things it's an expensive and sort of unnecessary thing these days or yeah what drew well, you to that well I think it was the feeling that um obviously the cd market as we know is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking in the classical world it's now pretty much confined to older listeners in the classical market. Um, Germany and Japan still sell quite a lot of physical product. But outside that is very, very niche. Um, and while mm. vinyl, um, I, I think this album might actually find an audience on vinyl, but it's so expensive to produce it these days. Um, and also, yeah, I think the backlog times, it just takes an incredibly long lead time to get the vinyl sorted. But then the thing that I really thought was, well, it's an electric album. Let's make it digital only. That's kind of, it just felt like a nice thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, 
yeah, it'd be on all the all the streaming sites, Spotify. Uh, yes, Tidal. Absolutely, that all, probably sounds best on Tidal, doesn't it? Possibly, yeah. All of all of those places is good, but there is also, yeah. There's one really nice uh, option. I think it's a, a website called Presto Classical or Presto Music or something. Presto Classical. They they do a CD on demand service, which I think is a brilliant idea. Um, and and I guess you pay a little bit more for it. But so because of that, we did create CD artwork. So if you really want to buy the album on a CD, um, you can go to Presto Classical. And in fact, I'm going to buy my own CD there because I want one physical copy of it. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I still love a yeah. CD, I'll be yeah, honest. Yeah, they do, me too. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I, I completely wholeheartedly understand why you'd want to do it digitally. Yeah. Um, it's great. Um, and you're releasing them as singles. There's a couple of the singles are out currently, aren't they? So the, uh, one of the Anna Meredith tracks. Yeah, Blackfriars. Uh, Blackfriars. Yeah. And one of the Joby Talbot That's singles. Right. Is that Motion, right? Motion I... Detector, yeah. I think, came out last week, um, which is a fantastic piece. That's one of the ones that really didn't yeah. con- conform to the sort of nice cello ballad and lots going on in the electronics. Because there are all these different rhythmic loops. I think there are rhythmic loops that I set up in eight, seven, six, and five at the beginning. So all those polyrhythms sort of fighting against each other. Um, and then there's this huge climax um, where there's a whole layer of cellos come in, plus the choral sample from another one of Job- Joby's pieces. Um, so that, that's got a very yeah. distinctive sound well it's very effective rhythmic and effective it's been excellent thank yeah. you so much good luck with the album um, oh, well thanks so much it's a real pleasure to talk yeah. about it because I haven't now it's sort of been out of my mind for a couple of months because the job was done but it's, it's fun to remember all those little moments in the studio and stuff yeah thank you Matthew Barley there with Motion Detector by Joby Talbot, uh, available to listen to in full on Spotify. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. great. That was so interesting yeah. to hear about this album. It sounds, well, I really enjoyed it when I was listening through to it. I really love Moon Moons by Anna Meredith. That's a cracking track, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Um, thanks to Signum Records for setting this up. And to Matthew for allowing us to play some clips, which some of this stuff isn't even out yet. So yeah, lucky, we're it lucky for the you. First time. Yeah, there, and also taking some time out of his holidays to chat to us. I think yeah. they were, you know, he was off to a waterfall for goodness sakes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I went to the dentist, by the way. Oh, did you? All well? Got two fillings. Uh, oh. Yeah, quite, uh, quite traumatic actually. Oh no! Why? He's quite a rough dentist. Did he have his foot He's on very your chest? Quick. He's very quick and slapdash <laughs> and cocky. Oh no. Which you is never a bad want combination. cocky in a dentist, do you? And rough. Like cocky and, and you know, rough. Obviously, he's putting stuff in your mouth, right? He, he kept pr- pressing into where I play the trumpet, like that yeah. bit of my lip, the front bit. Yeah. Like quite hard. I actually was like, oh, he can't talk, can he? So, like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, he's like, okay, he's like, yeah, you just press there. If, if he'd said done it again, I would have. Um, I would have um, kicked out. Uh, <laughs> I just would have probably gone uh, again. <laughs> yeah, exactly, made the same sounds. Yeah, I would have done the same thing. Um, where did you find this dentist? Well, I, I used to go to it was a nice, nice lady. I used to go to, and then then I got these implants done, 
and they've they've upgraded me apparently to to this other guy, but because he's the, I think he's the main guy. Oh really? Sloppy yeah. mc- so he's meant slapdash. To be the best, but oh dear. I feel he won't be listening to this, will he? <clears throat> I don't know. Did you talk about it to him? Yeah. <laughs> Mumble through the tooth. <laughs> <laughs> podcast, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, I, oh, I if don't he is listening, I'd just like to say you've done a wonderful job. <laughs> I can see Sorry, Nothing to complain teeth. about at all. Nothing. <laughs> That's great. All good. I do have to go back there because um, it didn't fix the problem I've got. I think I've broken <sighs> the tooth. Oh, Gordon Bennett. Yeah. And I'm going, going to Australia next week so flipping heck it's next week it's actually new zealand i'm going to next week wow have you started the process of packing for five weeks away yet no no but (laughs) i've written a list of things to buy yeah pants yeah you're gonna need at least 35 pairs i imagine yes always good to overpack on the pants well i mean how do you wash pants on a tour like that five week tour not when you're in a few days here, a few days there. No, you yeah, you need 35 of everything. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a few of those. Uh, what else? I've lost my, gl- my A sunglasses. selfie stick? <laughs> yes. Actually, not a bad idea. A drone? Going to take all the gear. Yeah, good. I, Maybe travel chess? <laughs> yes, magnetic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all the essentials. Should, should I take Sorry. a microphone? Yeah, why not? If you can fit it in. Yeah. Why don't you take one of those little handheldy ones that we've got? Yeah, I've got I've got yeah, I've got something I could take. I think you should do a little travel log if you get a chance. Mm. You know, you're gonna That's see some things, aren't you? It's very exciting. Yeah. Have you ever been out to I'm Australia really or New Zealand before? Never been before. Wow. So no. wh- yeah, where's yeah. the place you're most psyched to go and see? Um I haven't actually looked into like the details of what's in each place. I'm just really excited to go to New Zealand. Oh, yeah. I've heard so much yeah. over the years. Lord of um, the Rings, come on. I mean, yeah. Now, just where the is scenery. the Lord of the Rings? There must be some sort of uh, attraction you can go to. <laughs> yeah, theme park. Um, well, there's, it's all those hills, isn't it? That's what I picture when I'm thinking about them all mm, traipsing along hills. the hills. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that, and then then being in in Australia, um, Melbourne, Brisbane, yeah, sort of just being by the beach, surfing. Oh my god! All that sort of thing. I'm so Having jealous. Some nice coffees and food. Yeah, yeah, coffee, gigs. coffee will be great there, and gigs. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm well excited. How many are you doing? Uh, How many shows is it? I think there's like seventeen or so. Hmm gigs so we've got we've got a few days off nice <laughs> I, i'm fully aware this is pr- a pretty jammy gig i'm pretty pleased it's so think. good you've got to fully lead into that that is a brilliant yeah. thing <laughs> oh um, god yeah but we, i was trying to work out how to how to get in touch with my wife my wife and daughter throughout this whole time oh what time difference wise and all yeah, that jazz not yeah sure how it's going to work Ooh. Oh, yeah. I think so- we have to go off grid for five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that will go down really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it'll be well, like late night for you, early morning for them, won't it? Is that right? Yeah, so well, the first of- place we go to is Auckland, and that's 13 hours ahead. Wow. So the only time 
would be after a gig. So like 11 o'clock at night for me. Yeah. 10 a.m. for for them. Oh, okay. That's not um, too bad. Yeah, but that's sort of socialising time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tricky. You're going to have to do it with a pint in one hand and phone up. Yeah. I'm having a really terrible time. It's terrible. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It does mean I probably can't do any podcasting for a bit. No, we're going to have a little uh, break, aren't we, over this next yeah. month. Um, where, you know, I'll be cooking up exciting things over here for you to come back to. Yeah. You know, booking in booking in guests for April and doing various things. Oh, and actually doing yeah. Gabby's show for her because obviously she's off with you in Australia. So I'm yeah. going to have my hands full over the Gabby national. Gabby Swallow. Yeah. What's the show you're doing? It's called Standing in the Sky's Edge. And I tell you what, it's ruddy excellent. I went to sit in the other day and it's it's so good. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I'm, uh, I had a look at the, the dates, but before I go, I can't, I just can't get to see it. Ah, damn it. Before I, uh, unless. Can you do a cheeky matinee? I don't think I can. I, well, I guess I could sort out some, some childcare, maybe next Saturday. Hmm. I'd like to see it. It's, it's, it's super good. Of, yeah. Um, What's the, is there a lot of music? Is it a musical or is it a play with music? Yeah, yeah, it's a musical. It's a musical, but it's really interesting because it's written by Richard Hawley. Um, and yeah. he and he talks about, you know, not liking musicals himself. So <laughs> it's an interesting, interesting combination. But the music is really, it's excellent. It's beautifully written. And just the whole thing, the staging, the cast, the voices. Oh my God, they're so good. It's mm. re- It really is. Like, listener... If you've got a free evening, go and see it. It's so good. You know, and if yeah, I'm there, so as of the 27th of February, if you come along, come and say hi and I'll buy you a pint. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, great. So that's what you're, you're doing that until it's like 20 something of March, right? Yeah, I think like the 25th of March. I think it's the last one. Yeah, it's great. Cool. So you've got fun stuff fun. to do. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be keeping myself busy. No, Don't no you worry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything else? What, what, what are you going to be doing? Uh, what else? What else am I going to be doing? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Time just fills up, though, doesn't it, eh? Yeah. I mean, it's my yeah. birthday at the end of March, so I'll be celebrating that. But hang on a minute. It's your birthday first. It's tomorrow, isn't it? Or whenever yeah. we release this, well, well. a few days ago. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do for yours? Happy uh, blooming birthday. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go. The only thing I've got planned, we, me and Charlotte, we're going to go to get some sushi on in the afternoon, mm. Monday afternoon. Lovely. Or you can eat nice. sushi. Yes. Yeah. Or you can eat. Yeah. Good. Well, that's a, that's a difficult balance. What are you going to do for breakfast? Because you want to make sure your stomach's stretched enough that you can eat as much as you can. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's I think a hard I'm going to go for a run in the morning. Yeah, good. You'll be hungry and then, then. I guess, yeah, maybe have a little tiny piece of toast. <laughs> good idea maybe some nuts slow release mm. energy <laughs> yeah i've got some lovely oh, new awesome. peanut butter oh, have been, you um, been getting into let me see what what it was i took a picture of it because it's so good <laughs> it's called sun pat <laughs> i'd love to have some sponsorship from this they're called it's called harry's nut butter 
Oh, oh yeah, I know. Have you had it? Yes, delicious. You're putting a face like uh, it's not. It's just it's because they're racist of the... or something. <laughs> they are Harry's. You say those notorious Nazi nut makers. <laughs> <laughs> they rip rip up the rainforests. No, they don't. Uh, it's very good. It's no, very good it's butter. So good. Yeah. Oh, well, well. Listen, oh. I hope you have a incredible time away. And um, thanks. Yeah, and we'll be back. I, you know, fresh. <laughs> in I'll April. try and record some bits. Oh, do I might put out some solo, you know, audio diaries or something. That would be great. And do that. You never know. I might be able to sit down with someone and do yeah. a little little interview. Yeah. Do it. You never know. If you find anyone from Neighbours, then just <laughs> spring upon them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I if I see Paul uh, Paul Robinson. Oh my God. Or Toady. <laughs> <laughs> or Come Harold on. Harold Bishop. If you see him, get him to play his oh my tuba. God. Right. Okay. <laughs> Challenge on. This is. Can we look? Um, internet, do your thing. Let's let's set this up. Yeah, I'd like please. to chat to Ian. Ian, uh, what's his name? Ian. Oh, Ian St. Clair. <laughs> no, it's near footballer. Um, Ian. Let me look him up right now. Is it Harold Bishop? Harold Wayne Bishop. Did you know I had a middle name? I didn't know that. Harold no. Wayne Bishop is played by Ian Smith. Ian Smith. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Who's Ian St. Clair. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to look him St. Clair up now. Didn't he play for like Wimbledon or something? Ian St. Clair is an American voice actor and voice director. Oh, made him up. <laughs> you did. Ian Smith. Yeah. Yeah, look okay, out well, for him. Ian, Ian Smith. Let's, uh, let's, set, let's set this up. Find uh, that I hope man. He still plays the tuba. <laughs> right. Um, that's it. This is our first break we've ever had. Yes, I know. <laughs> Even when I had a baby. Oh my god, I know because we we preempted that, didn't we? <laughs> we did loads did we in advance. That? Oh yeah, there was a, a global pandemic lockdown. And there was nothing on. <laughs> yeah, literally. I know. So so this is the first time we will have been silent for a month. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Well, you'll just hopefully miss us and want us back. Feel free to listen back to the uh, back catalogue. Oh, yeah. And, um, it's extensive. I'd say join up to the Patreon, but there's probably not going to be much on there mm. for a while. But there is loads of stuff like <laughs> from the past. Oh, yeah, there is. Um, if you're not already on there, then there's loads of stuff to catch up with. Yeah. And follow us on the socials. We'll we'll pop some stuff out. I can yeah. still do some. I'll probably be able to do more admin, actually. Oh, God, me too. I'm I, don't go do, admin I don't want to be doing crazy. admin, do I? No. I'm not going to be doing loads of admin. No, don't. That would be so Bondi wrong. Beach. I'll just send a few, um, <laughs> a few, I'll just make a thread about uh, music, classical <laughs> yeah. music. I can't even think about it now. <laughs> no, Forget don't, it. don't, don't, don't. Well, so thank you for your continued support of this podcast and, and yeah, for listening. thanks for so much. This. And uh, yeah, well, we'll look forward to seeing you again in April sometime. So look we'll after yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Keep in Bye. touch. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.